everybody welcome back to another episode of the balanced blues brothers podcast it's travis flock travis tyler and we have rj making a long awaited return we are very glad to have rj back with us today and then ola is maybe gonna hop in later um but i'm gonna go ahead and just start uh we introduced this episode after coming off the back of a three nil win against lesser city away and yet again we saw antonio rudiger put in just an incredible performance he saves his best performances for when trophies are on the line or in knockout competitions but specifically he saves them for when there is lester city ahead of him so big hats off to him um we also saw some just overall the game was just brilliant you know it was from the very beginning, it starts off with Ben Chowell hitting the crossbar and almost scoring, um, and ricocheting up, if what I remember right, or just barely grazed it. Um, I was I was actually missed that part of the game. I was getting up out of bed really early to watch, missed like the first couple minutes. But, you know, from there on out, there was no denying who the best team was. Clearly on the day, it was Chelsea. Just blew them away in most aspects of on the on across the entire game and all aspects of the pitch. And it was one of those performances that really felt like a title-driven performance. And nonetheless, we finally debut our yellow away kit and move away from always playing this psychedelic blue home kit that they are trying to still pass off to fans. But uh, all right, so from there, um, I'm going to open it up to you, Travis. Um, what were some of the things that stood out to you from the match and getting a little bit more specifically, um, if there's anything from a wide, you know, angle view and, and also a little more granular. Yeah. So I think the thing that stood out most to me was just how fluid we were all around the field. I mean, the way the center backs were moving, you know, not just up and down the pitch, but also how wide some of them were getting. Uh, the way the wingbacks were moving, the way the midfielders were moving, all of it was just, you know, incredibly fluid to the point where, you know, I wrote down a few times, I'm not really sure what our formation is anymore because, you know, it looked like we were building from four at the back sometimes and then it would be three at the back. And, you know, it's really hard to plan against the team when you have no idea what sort of shape they're going to use. Um so that fluidity was a big part of it. And I was just looking at the stats now. They didn't have a shot until the 65th minute. And that was their only shot in the box, Leicester City. So, you know, just thinking back only a few months ago, we were on even footing with this team. I mean, they beat us for the FA Cup. Um, we didn't exactly have an easy time against them in the league. But if you knew this match was only a few months later, you wouldn't believe it. But I mean, it's just night and day how much better we are than we were then, or maybe even how much worse they are. I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about Manchester United, but it feels to me like Brendan Rodgers knows that job is open 
and he's ready to go. Um, but yeah, just, you know, the only real issue I have with Chelsea is the forwards couldn't get very involved directly anyway. They were able to get involved in other ways, which I think are important. And I know we'll talk about that a little later too. But yeah, not the best game for Kai Havertz or Mason Mount. Uh, Hudson Odoi did a little better than those two. And the subs that came on, Polistic and Ziyech, they did really well. But that's something we'll need to look at going into the next few games here. Yeah, I thought that they were quite strong throughout. And for me, I, I when I was reflecting back on the game, apart from the first minute or so, when Leicester were trying to come out of the blocks and establish a little bit of energy, that quickly got snuffed out and we really started setting the tone and, and dictating the tempo. And fluidity is the right word, I would say, is the common theme because you had people like Ben Chilwell just making these runs from deep as if they were an auxiliary forward. You had Reese James making those morating runs as if he was a box-to-box centre midfield. You had players, you know, you had the forwards dropping in super deep like they're playing in number six. So just to echo similar sentiments, it makes it very difficult as an opposing manager or players to stick to a structure when on face value, they were meant to be marking man for man because they set themselves up the same way. But when everybody's moving around in such an unorthodox way, it really does cause you to second guess whether or not do they just continue to try to chase these people knowing that they're going to pull your structures apart or do you just stick to what you were prepared for from the beginning knowing that you run the risk of not staying close to your man. So it really put them in a conundrum as to what, what do we do here? This team, clearly, Chelsea have a very good understanding about what their role within the team is, and we're playing second fiddle at best. And even just the, the intangibles in terms of just winning the first and second balls, I thought from our previous first games following the international break against Brentford and Aston Villa, we were quite lethargic. And we actually, if we're being honest with ourselves, got away, particularly with the Brentford one, for all three points because Mendy rescued us that game in terms of the final 20 minutes. And against Aston Villa, while we won 3-0, the manner of that 3-0 versus this 3-0 is total chalk and cheese because, again, we took an early lead against Villa. Thiago Silva did a mad block and, and Mendy as well saved us. We could have easily drawn or lost that game over the 90 minutes. But this one here... Not only did we not look like losing, but it was only about a matter of how much. We scored three goals. We had three goals disallowed. Chile hit the crossbar. Chile had his shot saved by Schmeichel. Like this could have been a real, real ugly score for Leicester, who I agree, they have been uncharacteristically very vulnerable defensively, both in set pieces and in open play. And another common theme that I've been noticing of the Foxes lately is that they've been starting matches very slowly and they've always had to play catch-up. Now, I'm not sure if, like you said, Travis, if it's because Rogers has his head turned by the United opportunity. He's human after all. Why wouldn't he be interested? But at the same time, it's very hard to legislate for some of those poor individual errors that are happening there. So statement performance from Chelsea, no doubt. And it was great to see the return of our engine in the middle, Kante, there's been a lot of talk about him because we know he's been in and out of the team through various sorts of reasons, you know, mystery COVID illnesses, the odd tight hamstring or the like, and there's question marks about his long-term future. But when he's fit and firing, 
we know that he's someone that elevates the rest of those around him. And the goal he scored was very Lampard-esque, running from midfield and just, just attacking the box. And I think he just eventually had a shot because he ran out of options, according to him. But I would like him to back himself more often because behind the superior engine room, He's actually a very quality football player that probably doesn't get recognized enough. Yeah, kind of what you're describing there with Conte is eerily similar to kind of how we describe Christian Pulisic in ways. Um, it's just one's much older than the other. And, you know, I, I think that it equally applies if we had both those players at full fitness. I think it's going to be great moving forward. But kind of like one thing that stood out for me is, you know, you talked about how Leicester's do are have been starting slowly and it kind of has not been something that's happened just over the past few months, like, or the past couple games, I should say, I say over the past few months, this team has not really been above and away, like where they have been in the past, where it was like more or less always around the top four, like in that top four spot. And I think this season, like, will you see how they're playing as well as the results? It's just not the same. Um, I don't know really what's breaking down with that team. I haven't watched a ton of them, but I do know like what we did really well in that first, in that match offensively is, and you guys both kind of touched on it with, you know, which position is which and the absolute fluidity within that formation. It wasn't a very interesting to see as we were basically playing with five attackers or five forwards in a way at times in that match. And um, I said this on Pride of London podcast uh, yesterday, but it was interesting because the announcers kind of that I was watching for the, the broadcast that I had, like kind of picked up on the fact that they were basically playing uh, Chelsea, basically playing like the old WM formation from way back, like in what, 1960s. Um, yeah, according to coach, <laughs> we're a defensive team. Why we play five attackers? Um, that, I think that's the, uh, you know, that's the part about is that people are wait. It's just people that don't watch us play and look at this positional. Oh, they, well, they play with three center backs and two wing backs and they have Jorginho and Conte. They just play with seven defense, defensive minded players or more defensively tasked players. But I think when you watch us anymore throughout the duration of the season, for the most part, that's just not the way it is. Our wing backs have consistently this, this season been more or less used in a manner that is consistent with an outside mid or a winger. Um, and then now we really saw uh, against Leicester over the weekend how these that, that role is even adapted again in matches like this where we're more or less using them as forwards um, to com- heavily contribute to the attack and actually produce you know, great movements and, and options and involvements overall. So I think that's the big thing for us is that we're seeing an evolution of this team where we're really not using defenders in this traditional way whatsoever. And I think that position, honestly, whatever you see on a formation sheet in a position is really not with Tom, Thomas Tuchel at all indicative of the role and the way in which that person might be used from that, you know, quote unquote position. Because I think all of that to say, starting to see how the lines are starting to be, you know, blur between what a position is and isn't uh, what you, when you traditionally think with Tomas Tuchel. So that's kind of what I was thinking with this match. And it, it, that is building upon what we have seen a lot this season. So that's kind of where I'm at from it. Um, and I think that's only a positive, but there are many people who say that the fact that we don't have attackers, right. Breaking in 75 or whatever percent of our goals, that that is a big problem. Um, I'll, I'll stop there uh, and leave it for you guys to open up from. Yeah, I mean, I don't really care who scores, but there is there is a slight concern if your strikers are never scoring. You know, it, it's kind of like you need to find this happy median between everyone is able to score one goal 
and one player is able to score a lot of goals. And I think in a lot of title-winning teams, you find that that balance between one player is doing a lot, but the other players are chipping in. And the teams that fall short are either too reliant on that one player or they're reliant on, you know, just somebody being able to score. And this was our concern at the end of last season was we couldn't really figure out who was going to be the guy we could trust if we needed a goal. And you know, ultimately, it's kind of the situation. It doesn't really matter because someone's scoring, but still don't really have that one player or even like two players that would be like, we know we can trust you today to put it in that. So that, that's, that's really the concern is how sustainable it is overall. But we talked about on the Pride of London pod about how part of it is you know, we're overloading and we're underloading and we're making the opposition watch one flank when we're really getting set in the other flank. And, you know, the forwards are doing the same thing. You know, they're distracting the opposition and then all of a sudden N'Golo Conte has space for a shot. All of a sudden Ben Chanwell or Marcus Alonso can come bombing in or, you know, Christian Pulisic can do a crazy diving header, which he loves to do. Like, it's all about making them think they're safe in one area and then showing them that they're not. And, you know, that kind of comes at the expense of our attackers a lot. Uh, and that happened back when Antonio Conte was manager too. You know, the amount of times Marcus Alonso would be completely wide open unmarked in Conte's title winning season was pretty ridiculous. And, you know, eventually the opposition caught on, but it was too late to stop us that season. It, We'll we'll have to see if it's too late this season to stop us, but you know I feel pretty confident that you know, with Lukaku back, with Timo Werner coming back, with Mount hopefully being a little more wise than he used to be, that we'll be able to get all this figured out and not be so reliant on you know just someone being a hero on the day. I think you made a good point about trying to find a nice balance between being over-reliant on a solitary goal scorer too versus trying to spread the, the love out too thinly because I think it's it's important to have the diversity. Like I know we've had over 15 goal scorers and that's really diverse, but equally I'm, I'm not as concerned where the source of the goals as long as there is some consistency with that. So they're not, and the, and the nature of the goals themselves. For me, my concern of you know, of yesteryear was around chance creation, not as much around chance conversion. And I know that's why we brought Rom back to help with more of the latter. But it's, you know, you, you dissect the last month of performances without him and we're still able to continue generating those chances and, and often finish them off. And actually, I like the point about what one part of the pitch might be what's getting the attention, but there actually is something unfolding in different areas. And the example in this game was with Reese James's disallowed goal. You saw basically all players get involved from the build-up where it, all of the, the pre-passing was happening on Trevor Chalaba's side. Then they shifted it over. Rudiger did that over the top ball for Chile. Chile ended up getting it back to Cho. Cho and then eventually Hakim Ziyech, Reese James, who finished it off, which was a marginal offside. But 
the whole point was that there's so many phases of play involved different areas of the pitch that it really makes it difficult for the opposition to know where do we target this team? Where's the weakness? And it's all about making sure that our, our options or solutions aren't just fixated to the one type. So I know some teams play a very defined style and they just master it. And if you can stop it, good luck to you. But if you do, that really nullifies what else they can do because that's all they're good at. Whereas for us, if Romelu was the one that was banging in all the goals and we had a very defined way of playing, if teams caught on to that, then we'd have come up with alternative solutions. But for us, they're just coming in from left, right and centre. And the whole notion of our defensive-minded playing, I just think that's that's smart business in the sense of making sure we're both protected because, you know, the least goals you can you can see, you've already halved the equation or improved your chances. But equally, it's the role that the defence and the midfield plays in building up that attack. So I, de- I definitely defend against that notion. But for me, it's all about us continuing to make sure we're multifaceted. We involve the wing backs. We have the pivot, not just sitting deep, but contributing. In. We have the tens dropping deep and distracting the inside defenders to be able to create the space out wide. Because often, more often than not, you saw Mason Mount, Hudson Adoy, even Havertz, they were dropping back lots to help, even if they're not the ones directly involved, they're indirectly involved because they're creating space for the wing backs to get the ball. And because I think if you're an opposition, you're just having to make a decision. Do I attack their attackers or do I attack their wingbacks? And you, you really just put in a conundrum. So for me, it's good that we're continuing to show fluidity, but equally, it would be good to have a reliable, consistent focal point that adds to that fluidity. And that's the real challenge of integrating Romelu back in because it's not just about playing to his strengths, He's also got to play to our strengths and get more involved and understand the chemistry of what's required. So I don't want the overall balance to be disrupted because we've got an individual player that's at the peak of his powers. Yeah, I think, you know, kind of my input on that would be, you know, we have this we have this setup where we are obviously using, if you look positionally, more, you know, numbered players that are going to be in defensive positions or quote-unquote defensive positions. But I think... I don't really have a whole lot else to add that you guys didn't already add about that. It's the fact that, yes, we do have that, but the way in which those things are being used really is not indicative of the position label that they're being given. Um, And I think that, is it a good thing? Yes, uh, we're seeing this trend. But is it also a bad thing? Yes, it is a bad thing that we're seeing this trend because it's as Travis Howard said at the end of the day, do I want, you know, do I want this trend to continue the entire season where my striker can't, score is nearly as much as my defenders now because this kind of luck will dry up you know we'll keep going we can't just keep going to the well of defenders scoring all the time you know it will dry up people will make counter moves to what moves we are making and it's going to happen and I, interestingly enough we're about ready to hit the you know winter period um which as we all know has been sort of a barren wasteland for Chelsea the past couple of years. The form usually downturns this, this time of the year. And it's usually something that ends up derailing any type of title hopes. However, you know, there is a lot of hope this time it will change. Um, RJ, I think in the chat, you just said it best. Like basically what I'm getting at is that the, the defenders, you know, this idea that they can continue to score and it'll be all right. It's probably an issue because it's just not sustainable. Um, 
it more or less, it's probably going to just, you know, reside a little bit. It's going to have regression to the mean, right? It's almost inevitable that that'll happen. I think the key is that, you know, when that regression starts to happen, that's when we have to have, you know, somebody else compensate. And RJ said it just best now in the chat, like everybody has to kind of step up and, and do more, um, you know, instead of just having kind of the same old people doing it again and again. So I think that's, you know, I think those are all really good points, guys. And I think that's kind of really as key to, you know, key to the theme of the, the podcast shows a very balanced perspective where it's not as black and white as good, bad, yes, no, um, as far as that, that trend and that issue goes. And I think that's what's really interesting about this trend is, you know, it's, we're so far into the season. That's why I would call it a trend. It's not something that's being fluked at this point. Um, you know, we're over a quarter of the way in. So uh, it, it, you have a good idea right now of what's, you know, going to be somewhat of a focus or going to be a theme for the season, assuming that things continue at somewhat of a consistent rate. Um, but I think that, you know, that is what gives me this idea that was, this will be something that we continually do tactically to create more chances for Chilwell or James or whoever's playing in that wingback role, whether it's Odoi, maybe even Pulisic getting moved into that. Uh, right wing back role. Um, but I think that's probably going to end up just being a, a, a net positive. Um, you know, I think that's going to be something that really it will continue to be a good thing. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, we do need the people that we have in those positions to really score those goals, because when it does dry up, you know, somebody else has to be there to step up. And although you like to be non-traditional in some ways with, with the way you have your tactics, which give you maybe sort of a, a novelty advantage, at the end of the day, you do need kind of still have classical players that are strikers, you know, kind of scoring your goals or at least being directly involved in offensive movements and, and you know, goal creating opportunities. Um, you know, with that, you know, we did just talk about sort of the issue of this, but I was going to maybe talk about really quickly Antonio Rudiger. Um, you know, Rudiger right now is a player who's on fire um, and he saved yet again another performance against Leicester. Um, I, I think. You know, a lot of the talk is centered around, is he going to leave? Um, and so to kind of avoid that, I think that, you know, I think most of us has probably probably already given our opinion on that somewhere else or, you know, here, maybe on the timeline or something. Um, the upshot is I do think he'll leave. But I want to ask, like, I want to ask you, do you think he has deserved what he is asking for? And, you know, yes or no. So this is a, a difficult question and that there's going to be some personal, you know, whether or not he deserves the finances involved and what goes into deserving it. But I think it's a, it's a more interesting question, you know, because he's been a critical part of what we've been doing since Thomas Tuchel took over, but he is asking for quite a bit. Yeah. I, I think if he deserved what he was asking for, he'd have it. Um, I mean, it, it's just the whole thing of if you start paying Rudiger what he wants, which is, you know, on par with, you know, our attackers, then all the other defenders are going to start asking for more. Midfielders are going to start asking for more because they don't want to be paid what a defender is being paid. And attackers are going to start asking for more because they don't want to be paid what a defender is being paid. I mean, it's unfortunate that defenders and keepers are paid so much less than, you know, the quote unquote star players that everyone comes to see, but that's what it is. And, you know, these things are all connected. If Rudiger starts getting, you know, what Lukaku's getting, then it's not going to be that everyone else is going to stay asking what they want. You know, Mount's going to start asking for more, James. It's just going to trickle up and up until, you know, we look like Barcelona looks like. So, and, and then beyond that, he's had 
a very good time with Thomas Ducal, but it's really hard to say, even with as well as Tuchel's doing, if the next person comes in, or is he going to be able to do that with Rudiger? Because the evidence is most managers can't get out of Rudiger what Tuchel's gotten out of him. You know, even with the German national team, like it's not the same Rudiger. So that my short answer would be no, he's not worth what he's asking for. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I, I like to reflect upon the whole duration that he's been at the club. And if we cast our minds back beyond mid last season, I think it's fair to say that he wasn't, he definitely wasn't our best defender. And he had a bit of a mixed, mixed bag sort of tenure before the resurgence that he found, which is a credit to him and Tuchel for being able to coax that out of him and deliver the monumental performances he has been delivering. But to go and use that fairly recency bias and short-term resurgence to justify a long-term commitment with a with an implication that can really hurt our wage structure and have that flow-on effect like Travis Tyler mentioned, which is my main concern, is in isolation, paying him that money is not going to be the end of the world, but it's the flow-on effect that it has to those around him because they are also champions of Europe. They've also been part of the success. You could argue that he's had a, a marginally better role or stronger influence in that but they will feel entitled to want to be compensated as well. And where do you draw the line? You know, because some of these players, and age is an important factor. We know that Thiago Silva is an outlier, but Rudiger, to his credit, he's looking for a payday. It's his, probably his last major contract. But at the same time, the club's got a, a duty of care to look after its own interests for the medium to long term as well. So in short, I agree with Travis. Probably not deserving of what he's asking for, but the club should work together to find a compromise. But as you know, the club is greater than any individual. And if he was to go, he'd get our sincere thanks. But let's hope we find a solution that works for all parties. Yeah, I think to pick up from the Rudiger discussion that that's a lot of really good points that are made is, you know, first, the kind of the financial structure of what Travis is bringing up, where if we do pay Rudiger, basically what we're paying our highest earners, our attackers, it's going to create a mis, you know, an imbalance and mismatch in terms of the wage structure that would be currently going on for the squad. So the key there would be avoid a wage structure issue at all costs. Because in the end, it's going to be, especially given the, the kind of circumstances surrounding Chelsea's, you know, ticket revenue and things like that, it would be absolutely unsustainable to go down that path. Um, and then going to what RJ was saying is right, that kind of feeds into itself is that this is much more where the collective of the club is much more important than an individual, regardless of that individual's, you know, more recently world class performances. And I think that that is in where you ended, where it's like maybe there could be a compromise reached between Rudiger and the club that doesn't end up causing this like wage um, structure issue in the short and long term. If that could be reached, that would be great. But I think that at the end of the day, where I would land on this is given those points, they're all entirely true. Rudiger, it's, it's tough. And I, that's why I kind of have to sigh when I bring that up. Is like, has he definitely played well enough to deserve a new contract at Chelsea. Absolutely. Has he played well enough? 
to deserve the contract he's asking for at Chelsea. And that's where I don't, that's where I think I still, I, I have to more side on no, he has not. Because the, I, the, the simple truth here with Rudiger is just that he is one of those players that the duration of his, of his tenure at Chelsea has not been a story that's been all that remarkable up until the last basically 11 months um, where he's really turned it on of late. So I think that's where I'm at with that is you have to look at this, you know, he's asking for a new long-term contract. So what have you done over the previous long-term contract? And I know that there are extenuating circumstances where some of the tactics maybe didn't fit him. He was always recruited to play in a back three for Chelsea by Antonio Conte. And un unsurprisingly, his best performances with the club, um, not just in singular instances, but longer stretches have come when he's playing in a back three. So that's kind of where I would fall in the Rudiger debate is that there just hasn't been enough over the long term for him to, to deserve the wages that he is suggesting he wants. And, you know, from the rumors we've seen, there are other clubs offering him more than we're offering him and by a substantial, you know, margin at that. So I think that with all of those things said, I don't think that he deserves the contract that he's asking for. I think he deserves a new contract, just not what he's asking for. Um, and then if others are willing to pay him that, by all means, go ahead. And it's, it's nothing personal against Rudiger. I think everybody would thank him and say, you know, we're, you know, we're really happy as fans with the service that you've given the club. You've done a lot of great for us and, you know, we'll appreciate that and, you know, best of luck at the next place. So that's where I'd be on it. Uh, Ola, you're just joining us um, to fill you in where we are. I was asking the, uh, the you know, other hosts here, the question of, do you think Antonio Rudiger deserves the contract he is currently asking for at the rumored wages that he's asking for, which I've seen like near 300,000 uh, euros a week. So do you think he deserves a contract from Chelsea uh, for money around that figure? Yeah, kind of got a bit. I, I've seen a lot of give him what he wants, give him what he wants, just, just pay the man. And you know, I, I know Travis Tyler has been on this train for long. Wage wage demands are a delicate thing because the moment you give one man what he wants and you just pay him, then you get yourself in a situation where either players of that same club having other demands. I mean, recently I saw a, a report that Sadimani is also demanding what, what Mohamed Salah is demanding. And Salah is not even getting paid the, the, the rumored 500k a week he, he wants. So, so these things have an effect, and let's not forget, Rudiger is a centre back. Once we start paying a centre back 300k, I mean, we're not, we're not Real Madrid, we're not Barcelona. So, us making Rudiger our highest earner, I, I just think that that's a bit much. Yes, I do think he deserves a new contract, most definitely. But over, over a hundred percent wage, wage rise, I, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's, it's I, I think that much is. Is stretching his impact. He has been quite impactful, but again, let's not let's not let's not pretend he has been at the club for the past just for the past nine months. He's been here since 2017, and he's been in and out, off and on. At some point, we were ready to sell him. And you know, concerning the concerning the 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 clubs who supposedly are willing to pay him double that amount. Why didn't they come in for him in January when 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 he was on on the market, you know? So these are things that I, I've said before that the signs are there if we if we're interested in looking at them, 
he has been on the he has been, he was on the market for long. No one was interested. And clubs have seen now that he may not sign a new contract and now they're interested because it's easy to very easy to sign a player and it's very easy to, you know, want a player when you're not going to pay any money for him. We're not linked to Thiago Silva before before he became free agent. So it, it's it's things like this. So when I hear people say we could Bayern Bayern would pay him more. Yes, they would, but they, they obviously were not that's interested in him to actually pay money for him in the first place. So they waited, and when they saw, oh, we, we could get him for free, they decided, well, as for Real Madrid, we know we know Real Madrid needed the centre-back not long ago because they lost Sergio Ramos, and they still didn't come in for Rudiger, even though he had one year left on his contract. So it, it, is, it is things like this. I, I, I think the 150k that I, that I think Chelsea is offering him is fair. I think the 300k that he's demanding is obscene. But at the same time, if he thinks he can get it elsewhere, I fully support him to move. And honestly, I'm getting tired of the whole the whole contract situation discussion. Every time he does something on the pitch, it is this is why we should pay him, pay the man what he wants. He scores a goal from a header, it is, you see, pay him what he wants. I mean, it's not like we had center backs who were scoring goals before, you know. So he has he has he has played well, but that is clearly coinciding with Tuku's arrival. And Tuku went out of his way to put measures in place so that our centre backs are not exposed. And not just really guy as well. Christensen also falls into that category, but Christensen is not demanding 300k a week. So I I just think at some point we have to admit that contract talks sometimes get this way. There's an impasse. The player feels this is what I want. What the club feels? Nah, I don't think so. I don't quite agree. And you know, one one person has to go. So I I fully support his move. I don't. I I'm not. For me, loyalty in, in football is for for players to clubs is a is a choice. No player owes us to stay at our club for the entirety of his career. If he gets a better deal, I'm I fully expect him to pursue it. But we shouldn't expect the club to. To bow to every 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 player's wage demands because they've been playing well for the last few few weeks, the last few months, or whatever it is. We have to we have to put our foot down at some point. We let yeah. we let Osnador do this to us, and we can't we can't let this happen again. But at some point, we have to put our foot down. Yeah, we just can't like let a dangerous precedent be set. And I think when you kind of summarize all of our tones, that that's sort of what it seems to be getting at is. You know, although, yeah, you've been great, you're at, you're, you have not been nearly that great in terms of what you're asking. And this isn't just a, you can't just make long-term demands based upon short-term gains. And that's where I think that I would fall. And I think it seems like all of us are in agreement that, yeah, you know, you've been great. Thanks a lot, Rudy. But uh, the, the value that you're asking for, you know, the, the cost that you're asking the club to fork out for this is just too much given where you're playing. So, you know, you can move on somewhere else if you can get the value you're asking for. And if so, then I wish you all the best. You know, I don't have any hard feelings about this contract situation, but I do think that, yeah, I'm with you all. I think that's, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of it. that's just banter, like when Rudiger scores or does something good about the contract. But I, at the same time, I do think there is that like undercurrent of, yeah, we should, we should be getting this guy a new deal. And it's, although, yeah, I really like the guy. Uh, I'm probably getting ready to buy like a Rudiger away kit for this season. Um, the bottom line is that 
there's so much more. And I, I guess, again, that's kind of what we, we've been summarizing each other, which is that it's a dangerous precedent for uh, the wage structure, but not only that, but it's a dangerous precedent because it kind of shows that individuals can be greater than the club itself. And I think that's the, the reason why Rudiger at this point probably will not be resigned. And I don't have really much of an issue with that. Thanks again, guys, coming back. Great to have all, all of us back on together. Really enjoyed this one. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can keep on getting this together and uh, looking forward to more. We have a really other important match this weekend against Man United. And, you know, hopefully we come back to have a match review talking about how we beat them at once again. And it's like Ollie never left, but we shall see. Until next time, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high.